So hi, I'm uh, Stephen Lightbone. I'm a poet based in the UK in a city called Bristol. Uh, and I'm really pleased to be here talking to the two of you. Welcome to the Show Up and Surrender podcast, where we invite you to show up for yourself and surrender to whatever you find there. Join us for honest and open conversations about how we practice showing up and surrendering in our daily lives. Marcella is an applied psychologist with a passion for being the imperfect example of how to live wholeheartedly. She helps others reconnect to their own emotions and thoughts to become a more whole and connected person, you know, instead of just a walking, talking head. Biddy is a yoga teacher who is fascinated by the mind-body connection and conscious movement. When you bring these things together, you create the yummiest blend. And she uses all this to help people find what it is they need to feel the best they can. We started Show Up and Surrender because when we work together, we create things that inspire us. By sharing our conversations, we hope that they will inspire you too. So this is exciting because it's our first podcast where we invited a guest to join yes. us. And we had a very, um, actually we had quite a list of people that we thought would be interesting, but it was very clear to us that Stephen had to be our first guest. And I met Stephen uh, a couple of years ago when I was assisting Adrian during her roadshow from Yoga with Adrian during her London uh, base classes and there was this one class where she said would it be okay with you if we give you this section because we have a special someone coming and we would like for you to be uh, the assistant in that area and that turned out to be Stephen and it was it was really nice meeting him because as you will learn later on uh, Stephen is a wheelchair user and Yoga with Adrian uh, in London had venues from a hundred people to well Alexandra Palace had thousands of people, but this was a venue with about 300 people. And in that space, um, I, I got to watch Stephen practice. And that was amazing and inspiring to me because I had not seen someone practice in the way that Stephen practices. And it was really, really beautiful to watch for me because it showed me so much what I already knew to be true, but I hadn't seen it like that. It was, you can practice yoga no matter how your energy is, what your ability at that mo moment in time is, there is a way to practice yoga that will soothe your body if you want it to. And I got to talking to him afterwards and I started following him on social media and he is just such an amazing person. And then I got to introduce him to some of my best friends when we all got together for coming home, which is where you met him for the yes. first time, right? Yeah, I met him through coming home or online retreat in November 2020 yeah and um, I I think I even said that I fell in love with him you did <laughs> yes. even though I've been together with my partner for 10 years but yeah Stephen is such an inspiring person who I don't know how he does it but just when he starts talking you have to listen to him and I'm really huge fan and so are you of his poetry he writes it beautifully. He he did a workshop in the Coming Home Retreat about how to write poetry. And he really opened up, I think, for everyone who was there, their own creative space. And how to tap into that and to just start writing from 
well, all the cool exercises that he gave us. And um, yeah, I'm. That's. I, there wasn't a way that we sh- could not invite him. Yes. So we had to. And I'm really happy that we get to talk to him about this. Yeah. So what you're about to hear is about half an hour of conversation. After we stopped recording, we kept talking for about 20 more minutes about really interesting topics. And we'll, we'll save it for another time. And we're pretty sure that it won't be long until we invite Stephen back for another talk. But for now... We hope you will enjoy this conversation. Yes. We are so happy that you're here. And maybe we should just start with our logo and your tattoo. Because Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that so much. We announced uh, the podcast. We put on this um, video of how our logo came together. Because our logo is, of course, a mash of my logo and Marcella's logo. And then Stephen sent us a message And it turns out that you were way ahead of us (laughs) (laughs) because you have our logo slightly different as a tattoo. I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I sort of, yeah, I was really surprised when I, when I saw the logo, I was like, oh, that's, I thought I'd designed something really unique and original when I, (laughs) when I had that done. So that, that tattoo, um, uh, is, it's a triangle with a heart in it and a line across the middle. So the, the triangle is my the three sides of my mum and my two brothers. And the top of the triangle is pointing up. So it's pointing north, which is where I'm from originally in the north of England. Uh, I'm the line through the middle because I am the middle child. And then there's a heart in it as well, which is for the family. So that's that's what that tattoo means to me. I love that. That's so wow. beautiful. Yeah. And it is so funny. Right? Yeah. 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 (laughs) And it's funny to hear like a different um, explanation for how the the same shapes came together um, than our logo. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It is funny, isn't it? How um, you can make these different interpretations from something and and you create something that means something to yourself, which I always quite like. You know, I, I, I like that a lot. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So of course we really, really, really wanted you to uh, to have in this podcast in this episode because we know each other already. Well, Biddy and you know each other a little bit longer um, from yoga with Adrian, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, we yeah. met in two thousand eighteen. Yes. Yeah, and then I got to meet you last year, twenty twenty through our coming home retreat, where I really became a huge fan of you and your poetry and your voice. Uh, I think uh, your voice matches your how you write stuff or stuff, really beautiful poetry. So of course we I don't thought- mind stuff, stuff's fine. I, I definitely <laughs> write stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then we really wanted to um, invite you because you really inspire us and you are really someone us as well who shows up and surrenders Uh, and when we asked you is there anything that you would want to talk about um, you told us yeah it might be um, logical to talk about what yoga means to you what uh, how you had an accident in when you were 17 I believe 16 yeah 16 yeah and how that affected your mental health and how you had to show up there and surrender to what happened to you as well. Um, 
So I think that's that's enough for us to to talk about and to chew on. Um, so for the people who don't know, can you tell us a little bit more about what happened and maybe also about how you had to show up and surrender there? Yeah, so um, what I didn't say in the intro is, yeah, I've been a, a wheelchair user for 25 years now. Um, so I had an accident when I was 16, so back in 1996. And um, I had an accident in the snow, so it was in it was in the winter. And I'd been out um, sledging or tobogganing um, and uh, I'd been out all day. I mean, it'd be, it was a really thick day of snow and um, we'd been out all day. Uh, we were, we would sort of, the it was getting darker and it was time to go home. So I decided to sledge down the hill rather than walk down the hill for like the last, the last bit to get home. And uh, for some strange reason, decided to go backwards and there was loads of trees around. And um, I went backwards and obviously couldn't see where I was going and, and hit a tree. And um, was really, you know, it's a very small hill and a very small tree, but a very sort of um, clearly just everything aligned at the right moment to cause the maximum amount of damage. Um, and yeah, I brought my back in multiple places and uh, I won't go into all the details for everyone listening because people might be eating their breakfast, but I was... I, I was yeah I was re I was actually really lucky to, to to be here for a couple of weeks it was very touch and go um, and I was in intensive care I was transferred to a to another town where there was a, a spinal unit about um, an hour's drive away from home I was transferred there uh, as I say I spent two weeks in intensive care a um, couple of operations and then six months of rehab in in hospital and I was discharged uh, back to a, a completely different life um, that I just, I don't know, wasn't necessarily prepared for. Um, I think until that point, I'd got no real sense of what it meant to have a, a disability. Um, and I'm not sure I'd actually came to terms with the thought I might have a disability in hospital. I think I was more concentrating on recovery. Um, but a lot of what I think... Things may have changed, but a lot of the the focus was on physical recovery. So, you know, fixing broken bones and healing scars and things like that. But I'm not sure. I was like 16 years old, and I kind of shunned any of the maybe the potential mental health side of things because I was fairly resilient. But also, I was just looking forwards. I was like, right, I, this day is when I get discharged, and then I go back and do this, and then I can start hanging around with my friends again on these dates. But I wish if I, you know, if I could go back and change anything about that time, then I would really, I, I would pay much more attention to my, my mental health, which I think didn't have the same attention given to it as it did do to my physical recovery. And so for me, I think the, the title of the podcast of Show Up and Surrender is really interesting because I think surrender can have different connotations. And I think, you know, sometimes it can be seen as, a submissive or you know a negative thing but actually you know thinking about coming onto this podcast I, I thought actually no I what I did was I sort of just surrendered to what I was trying to be or what I was trying to prove and I think that has been a a, a, a very long process 
over a number of years of which I feel like really only in the past couple of years I've started to understand that and I think that has coincided with me practicing yoga more and understanding that and also the poetry because the poetry has been an exercise in writing some of this down but I think I've you know the started to stopped fighting against who I was possibly going to be you know at that at that point that I hit the tree there was the me that was had set off in that morning and was going off on one trajectory over there and then the me that hit the tree and ended up having to have a different life and I think for a long time I tried to get back on that line of the 16 year old that didn't have the accident and what that would have meant and the job that I might have had and the holidays I might have gone on or the relationships I might have had and actually allowed myself to just be on that line that I became on and um, just was more open to those kind of opportunities that then came along. I could talk a long time on this, so I might I might stop and see <laughs> if there's anything you want to come in on. I, you gave me goosebumps, actually, when you made the distinction about surrender, because I think that's something that we were, we discussed it a couple of times, like, okay, we need to make sure that people understand that with surrender, indeed, we don't mean like lie down and just let everything happen. But it's this deeper meaning that you described it being able to give into the moment that you are in, the state that you are in, the life that you are in at that moment. Surrender to things in a way that you let it in, you allow it to happen, right? And then from there you find your way through a situation. And I can't imagine um, what it must have been like, because I think back then as well, right? We're talking late 90s. I think mental health was even less talked about, I think, than mm. it is now. So I can imagine that there was no one at the hospital maybe also saying, like, listen, we need to pay attention to this. Or was it there, but you were just, because as a 16-year-old, mm. I can imagine that you're like, I don't I don't need that. I'm just, I need to get out of here. So actually it was the latter. I think it was, it was definitely that. I think there was, um, there was a clinical, uh, I can't remember which one. Either a clinical psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist that was that was in the that was embedded into the unit who would come and talk to you. And actually, that chat was really good for my mum. I think my mum benefited a lot from having that person there. And actually, it's only it's only recently that I've started to also realise the impact that my accident had on those around me. I think trauma doesn't just happen to individuals; it happens to the near circle around them and to communities that kind of you know the fallout mm-hmm. is is there is a fallout from that that impacts people in different ways but I think that it's only natural that as a 16 year old you know I mean it wasn't my first accident I was pretty uh adventurous I had multiple broken bones I'd had many hospital stays before and I'd got stitches and scars all over the place from just thrashing my mountain bike or falling off walls and all sorts of stuff so it, but nothing prepares you for for no. for an accident of that magnitude um so it's i i have no like i'm not beating myself up for then closing down and just focusing on myself but i was very i was very selfish in that time because i was in self-protection mode so i was like i would say to people oh, i don't care how difficult it is for you you know you don't know what it's like for me and um, I had the odd chat with this clinical psychologist, psychiatrist, but I, I didn't really, I would go out of my way to not 
talk to them. And equally, there were volunteers of people that had had accidents before and would come into the unit and would come and talk to you. And I just used to pretend to be asleep when they when they came in. I just didn't want to talk to anybody. And um, I think what happens is once you were discharged, you just drop off everybody's radar. You know, I would go to my my GP, my doctor at home that I would have gone to to say, I don't know, I've got a stomach upset, and he would say, here's this, and he could deal with that. But then I realised I became the expert, and I was like, I I'm not, how oh, I'm not the expert. I'm like. <laughs> You would you you would go and look for, you know, you would go to the doctor and they would they would see the thing that was in front of you rather than actually let's let's think about what else is going on here at the same time, you know. And I kind of I it's interesting. I, I look back and think I was I felt like I was fairly happy. I felt like I was um, fairly robust and was able to kind of get on and do things. But at the same time, I look back at things that happened. Like I had posters on my wall in my bedroom that covered holes that I had punched into the wall through anger. I had bruises on my legs because I would, I would, you know, punch my legs because I couldn't feel them. So I was kind of like, this is weird. And I would punch them to see if I could feel anything. And I couldn't feel anything, but then I would watch these bruises and I was sort of grow and I was kind of mesmerized by these these things that I could do to this this part of my body that I couldn't feel but that's obviously not healthy behavior when you look back and think about these things and there wasn't the support there and I didn't talk to anybody but I, I knew it didn't take much to set me off into to sort of lose my temper um, so I was quite calm and then I would it, I would just become angry or I would become frustrated or I would get upset and it, there wasn't much of a coping mechanism there so so i think stuff that maybe was superficial would would almost then you know it's like that that metaphor that people use of ripping the plaster off you know i would mm -hmm. i don't know i would drop a cup of coffee on the floor and then i would i would outburst and i would get really cross but clearly what's happening is something underneath that that is that is is rising to the surface that is suppressed and i've not been able to deal with and so that ha that does take many years to understand that level of trauma that you're you've absorbed in the body and to just let go of that and i think that is about that sort of you know show up surrender let go to this this thing that you're holding on to and just see what happens yeah and what was it like for you or what because i i think everyone who's listening can imagine that for a 16 17 year old it's hard to make a switch in that right it's I when I think about you in in such a young age I think yeah of course I can imagine that it's you don't want to go there you don't want to open up all the emotions that come with it all the things you have to deal with so you suppress it so I I think that's a logical movement that we make but I'm also curious about how did that story evolve and what were moments for you where you got to see oh well maybe I do need to do something with that and I'm guessing it has to do something with poetry but please if if there's other ways of course feel free to talk that as well yeah on the, on the one hand I sometimes think being 16 people say oh god that's so so early such a young age for something like that to happen and I I agree 
that is the case. But I, I think on the one hand, I think actually, I don't know if there's ever a good time for something like this to happen. But I've I've had a childhood. I've had that experience of kind of you know what I'd I'd finished school and I was about to go and do my you know A levels before going to university. But I, I I look back at people that were in hospital with me that were uh, in their thirties, forties, fifties. They had jobs, they had houses, they had um, families, and it it must be really difficult to to go back to that life. I I actually was starting and I was already starting something new. So I was in that mindset of going to university and thinking about whatever life might be after that. And so actually, in the first few years, I actually had a great time. I was I was up I was you know, this, it was a, a real mixture of highs and lows of, of actually lots of new experiences. So I really enjoyed sixth form. I really enjoyed university. Um, and I met some, some good friends in that period. It was only when I was in my maybe early to mid twenties, I'd found myself um, living at home, living in a new house on my own. I'd been in a relationship that had ended I was kind of in this job that I didn't particularly like and I was just in the house all the time and that I, then I think as I moved towards you know adulthood which maybe I'd kind of came slightly later to because what is a what is what is age other than a number I think you know we talk about things like 16 you do this 18 you do this yeah. 21 you do this we all change at different times and I think maybe I'd started to understand actually it was when I'd started to think about trying to find somebody that maybe might want to start a family with me. And I think at university, for some reason, I don't know, I'd like, I'd not, I'd always struggled at school to kind of, I was really shy at school, but also extroverted at the same time. So I was quite awkward around people, but I'd liked kind of showing off. And, um, but I was, I'd never had a, a serious girlfriend through, through, school but at, at university and at sixth form something changed and I, I couldn't understand why that was happening but I don't know if it was like I was more confident or comfortable in my skin or I just was a bit visible and I was a bit like that was my approach to dealing with the accident is I would be more gregarious and I would put myself out there and I would be front and centre but then I think as I started to move through my 20s <clears throat> I realised that actually what people were looking for in a partner, I, you know, I wasn't meeting that ideal of. So if you were to draw a picture of your ideal partner, I don't hold this against anybody, but most people aren't drawing somebody in a wheelchair. And so you have that in your head about families and things like that. And I think then as people, as people get older, I think you then become more aware and, you know, partners then look for other things like kindness or compassion or, you know, somebody that you can be comfortable with and secure with. And, and actually then the dynamics change. But in my early 20s, I really struggled with that sense. And I think that's what I wasn't prepared for in that the things that people were coming to talk to me about in hospital and afterwards were, were Paralympians or people that had done fantastic achievements and climbed mountains and all this sort of stuff. And actually what you need to see for me was what does normal look like? How can I still be normal? How is it possible to still have a family and a job and a house and all those kind of things. So I really then got my head down to focus on these things. And I sort of threw myself into work and went after promotion, after promotion, after promotion. And that is something that then came to a head last year where I just 
completely burned out because I was not putting the same attention into my physical and mental well-being as I was to work. So that kind of was one line that was going on. And the other one around probably about 2013, I was in a job that was incredibly difficult. I was in a relationship. I was I was married, um, and that and that marriage ended. And my uh, mum's partner, who she'd been with for um, 16, 17 years, died very suddenly. And all of that happened in the short in a short space of time. And I found myself living on my own again in Bristol. No, no, sorry, not in Bristol. I was in London at the time. I found myself living on my own in London, doing this job, thinking, "How the hell have I got here in this job with with?" you know, a social network that had ended through a marriage, thinking, right, I'm in this massive city and everything feels really overwhelming. And I, I then sort of ground to a halt. And I was like, right, I'm gonna reclaim some stuff here. I'm gonna go out and what do I enjoy doing? Well, at school, I enjoyed writing. And I, haven't, I don't do that, I don't do that anymore. So I signed up for a writing course, which was a poetry course. And I was like, I've got to go on this poetry course. So primarily I went on this poetry course because I was like, I'll be able to meet some people on there. And weirdly, the person that I sat next to was someone that I worked with. So I was like, well, this is, <laughs> I'm not meeting new people. I just sit with someone that I sit next to at work. But it was, um, uh, we didn't quite sit, but we, we worked in the same in the same field and I, and I knew this person pretty well. And, um, and I wanted to write about anything. I just wanted to write about anything that wasn't to do with, that stuff I was going through, or my disability. And I was like, I just, I don't know, I'll write about baked potatoes, whatever it is, I just, that doesn't work for me. And we were set this exercise to write a letter poem. And that is a call and response where you would write, the first part of the poem would be to a subject and the second part of the poem would be a response from that subject back. And for some reason, I thought I would write a letter to my legs and then I would respond from on behalf of my legs and I just didn't I just wrote I didn't I didn't really think about it but then when I read back what I'd written I was like oh wow like there's some stuff in there that's quite angry but also my legs feel like I'm giving them a hard time it's not their fault they didn't they didn't direct the sledge they were actually at the end you know it was my it was my head that I went down the hill with first my legs didn't have anything to do with it and um you know they've been they've been neglected they've they've i haven't done the physio that i should have done there i haven't done the exercise that i shouldn't have that i should have done my legs are no longer straight you know and they've they've not had the attention that they should have had and i've had a lot of issues with them but that's because i've neglected them so it was really interesting then putting that onto a paper and when i went back the next week and shared this poem the tutor was like i think there's something in this i think there's more poems to write so I did, I went home, opened my notebook and started writing. And three or four years later, a poetry collection came out that was all about my experiences of being a wheelchair user. And people write poetry for different reasons. I didn't go into writing poetry. I went to write poetry just to sort of flex my creative juices. I didn't realize for me, it was gonna be cathartic and reflective. But that's what it turned out to be for me. Not every poet, writes poetry for that reason but for me I found it I found it very useful but then I started to realize I was changing my own perceptions about the way I thought about disability and myself and my experiences and actually it allowed me to dig deeper than the stuff that I was just angry about I was able to ask why am I angry about that and am I angry about that because I feel hard done by 
or am I angry about that because I believe something that actually isn't true you know I'm trying to be somebody else um, and yeah I think poetry then has enabled me to to kind of express some of these thoughts and feelings um, and I never really intended to share them but also as I as I said earlier in the podcast I've always liked showing off and it enables me to sit on a stage <laughs> behind a microphone <laughs> and be at the center of attention sometimes so you know it's also it's it's quite good for that reason as well I'm, I'm so happy you decided to share because your first collection um it's I keep going back to it I I when I when I bought it after we met in 2018 we got to talking a little bit and we started following each other on social media, I think, and that's how I found out about your book. And I read it cover to cover when you sent it to me. And I keep coming back to it every now and then because it's, for me, it's the way you you let people in in such a beautiful and inviting way that sometimes I, I forget almost how incredibly personal it must be for you to share that because it when you read the poems it feels so natural for me to be there in that emotion in what you're describing that I sometimes have to remind myself how I think it's brave to put yourself out there like that for one but also how how vulnerable you make yourself by sharing those thoughts those emotions do you ever did you did you doubt sharing this? Because I I can imagine that you must have known that it would have been healing for others as well. Mm. Or maybe I maybe think, not even. I'm assuming you know that yeah, because no, that's I how think, I feel. <laughs> I think a lot of the stuff I do, I approach with a sort of um, mixture of bravado and naivety, in the sense that I just do stuff and then not really think about what's going to happen afterwards. Which is how <laughs> I ended up in this place in the first in this situation in the first place. And I think that's still, I've tried to keep hold of that. I don't overthink things, I think. I don't, I don't sit and, you know, it's only when we have conversations like this that I think, oh, hang on a minute, I think some of these things. And sometimes I'll say to my wife now, um, and I'll be having a conversation, and I'll say, I'm going to stop halfway through because I'm not sure if I actually believe this. I'm just talking about what's in my head, and I need to go away if I think if what I'm actually saying is what I think. But don't hold me to it because I might think something else next week. But with the poetry, it's really interesting that people have said that. They have spoken about how it, it is very personal. And I guess I am, there is an intimacy there about sharing personal details. But for me, it was a conscious decision to do that because I was doing it on my terms. One of the things that happens a lot if you have a disability um, is that or particularly as I guess if you're in a wheelchair um, is that people come up to you that you've never met before in the randomest of circumstances and say why are you in that wheelchair or what happened or can you still do this or do you mind me asking about this and, and a lot of those times you're just minding your own business sat at a bus stop or in a lift waiting for the tube or you're getting your hair cut and the hairdresser will say can I ask why you're in the hair and, and you think I've got one of two things here. I can make this rest of this haircut really awkward or I can answer the question. And and I often think, what do people think is going to be achieved by asking that question? Because what you're asking somebody to do in a scenario that they're not comfortable in, you know, they're just out, to dig deep into a trauma. There's nothing that's... I, 
I don't know. I, I don't like saying that there is absolutely no circumstance, but I am very, I struggle to think of a circumstance that would lead to somebody being in that situation that was a positive experience for them. So I often think, what is somebody think they're going to achieve by asking someone to dredge up something that's difficult and upsetting to a person they have never met before in the most intimate and personal and traumatic details? And then think, I, but when you say, so then sometimes I used to say, I got to say, I was like, no, I'm not going to answer that question. I don't know you and this is too traumatic to talk about and they would get annoyed at me <laughs> like I'm really like yeah like well like there's no need to be there's no need to be like aggressive to me I'm just asking you <laughs> it's like so what so it's a very strange so for me writing this book was I don't mind talking about things on my terms so this is allowing me to talk about these things on my terms if I'm uh, and then I know what, what happens is after a reading I will be you know I'll be mingling or someone will come up to me and, and share their own experiences and that's fine because they're they're responding to something that I've spoken about but I, I think it's it's also important because if we don't talk about these things people don't realize that they're not on their own or they're not going they're not the only one going through this and I think that's also important because a lot of the time I would think no one understands like nobody understands any of this and I can, in parallel, have an experience that is unique to me. My, my accident, my response to that accident and the life that I've built is unique to me. That is my experience. But at the same time, share similar experiences with people that have been through similar things trying to build their own lives. You know, So my care routine is my care routine. Just because somebody else is in a wheelchair doesn't mean they have the same care routine. And that can be difficult sometimes because... You could sort of be this thing. Sometimes I'll be out, and another person in a, I'll pass someone in a wheelchair, and they will, they will sort of give you a nod. And sometimes I nod back, and sometimes I think like cyclists nod at each other when they go past each other. I don't know. Like it's a strange sort of shared kind of like solidarity type thing. I know motorcyclists do, by the way. Yeah, I, and yeah. maybe maybe it's something <laughs> similar. And, and I think it's yeah, but but I know. I don't know. I didn't write the book for other people in a similar circumstance to say, right, they're not on the right. I didn't write it so that the general population could read it and, and change their mind. Because also I know, look, if I wanted to really change society, poetry is not the way to do it because there's all, there's not thousands of people buying that book. I'm not on, you know, mainstream media. I'm not a, a famous celebrity. That's a, the, I'm not an, a social media influencer. But I think if you could do it one person at a time in a way that feels comfortable to you at your own pace, then that's fine. Yes. I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I just listening to you is inspiring on its own. I'm, I'm almost afraid to say it, but we're coming to that point where we're already over our half hour mark <laughs> I think so maybe we should start by asking you if you would be willing to come back another time to talk more always I've got yeah I've always I got would, something to talk about yeah. oh we love that but before we go I just want to ask you about your next book that's coming out this year can you tell us a little bit more about that book that collection yeah um so this book has, has come from a really concerted 
effort. I didn't think two years after my first book, the second one would would come out. Um, but one of the things that the past year has allowed me to do is is to spend time at home and, and write in a way that maybe I wouldn't have done before. But I didn't want to, I knew I wanted to write another book. I knew I didn't want to just write about more of my experiences. I could fill 10 books writing about things that have happened to me, things that people have said, experiences that I've had, thoughts on relationships, etc., etc. But I wanted to write something that, that still focused on something personal to me. So disability, being a wheelchair user but in a different way and sort of so this book is a is more of a all the poems in the book are, are fictional but the book is is a is a dystopian book and it imagines a life where uh, one person wakes up and realizes that everybody else or so they think has died and they are the only survivor of this apocalypse but they are a wheelchair user so they go out they decide to survive, they decide to trek across the country and they get different medical supplies, but they don't only survive, they thrive. And this book has come from two things. One is, if I watch, I one of my absolute loves is film and the movies and um, I'll watch, every, I try and watch a different film every day. So, and one of the, so I'll watch any films. One of the films, genres that really frustrates me is sci-fi. Because I never, I don't ever really feel like I see sci-fi depict disability in a way that I feel like they've given really any attention to. And then the other thing that really frustrates me is, I think one of the few things that we don't talk about and we still allow to happen in in film is for disabled characters to be portrayed by non-disabled actors. And for me, it never feels authentic. They don't talk about things like care routines or they don't sit in a certain way or they might put a rucksack on that's really heavily heavy but that would knock them forwards and it's little details like that matter and in sci-fi in particular they and the film avatar for me sort of strikes a chord in, in the sense is that it's set in the year like 2154 i think it is and the main character is a wheelchair user on the one hand people might go oh that's fantastic but he's he when we first introduced to him he he pushes off a spaceship that's landed on another moon in a different planetary system, but his wheelchair looks like mine. And I think, like, <laughs> everything else has evolved, <laughs> but his chair is still the same sort of looking chair as what I'm sat in. In fact, my chair is actually more advanced than his chair. And I think they can fly to another moon, but they haven't found a cure for paralysis yet. And, and the first thing that he said to him is, oh, look, here's Meals on Wheels. And I'm like... So even the views of disability have actually regressed in all that time. They haven't gone forwards. And, um, and, and so I wanted to write a, like a, a, a sci-fi dystopian book that kind of addressed some of that stuff and had that was felt more authentic. So this, this book is a, a year in the life of this character. He's looking for other survivors. And each poem is a different diary entry over that year. So that's, that's and it's called The Last Custodian. Mm, I can't wait to read it. I saw the cover, and now knowing the backstory, it it paints such a perfect picture as well. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to sharing it. I think it's it's been new. The poems are very different poems than I've written before. Um, they're still personal, but they are they're very different than than what I've written before. But I think it's a lot of it has come out. I didn't. I started writing it before the pandemic, but what I didn't realize was 
actually as well a lot of the pandemic has kind of seeped into these poems which is natural because i think you you absorb and you you talk about the things that's going on around you at that time for a lot of people with disabilities they've felt like they've lived in this kind of pandemic type scenario for a long time because lockdown and staying in your house and not being able to access things and not being able to go into shops and having to share medical records and personal details that is day in day out life for people like myself and um what i've kind of then done is you can also then feel isolated when you leave your home in my house i do not feel like i have a disability everything is geared towards making life as simple as possible this is the most relaxed environment i can be in when i leave the house that's when i realize i have a disability and um i wanted to kind of switch that and let this person feel more comfortable outside than they do inside so lots of those things have kind of come out as well through it well thank you so much for i'm really looking forward to buy and read the book um and i hope others will find it as well of course um on our website we'll share some links so everyone can find stephen and all his beautiful but also your first book is also great so we'll put it there as well um yeah so thank you for sharing your message message and i really 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 hope that you will come back and talk more with us but sure. for now um thank you thank you thank you both yeah. that was really good thank you so much thank you for listening to show up and surrender hosted by marcella and biddy we hope you enjoyed listening make sure to follow us wherever it is you listen to your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe if you really like us and want to give us some love, write us a review. At showupandsurrender.com, you can find information about us and also any links that we may have promised you in this episode. To stay in touch with us, please follow us on Instagram or send an email to hello at showupandsurrender.com. We'll be back with another episode soon.